Hey there, it's Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR. Before we get into the next episode, I wanted to ask that you subscribe to the show. It'll help us get even more unique and interesting guests on the podcast and in turn continue to educate management teams and the growing ecosystem that creates value for fast-growing private and public companies. And while you're at it, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. Very much appreciated. One of the key messages is that this is not a science experiment anymore. We delivered hundreds of millions of units last year. We don't need a major leap in innovation to deliver on our commitments to stakeholders through the next five years or even well beyond that. The planet can't wait much longer for us to make some major changes, and the market certainly reflects that. Consumers want innovation, they demand options, ones that are better for their health and better for the environment. We're excited to show we're ready to deliver. We have been delivering. We've been recognized as one of the most environmentally impactful businesses on the planet. I believe the next time you and I talk, you'll say, Troy, you are the most environmentally impactful business on the planet. Being a public company can be hard. Small missteps can have outsized consequences. I'm Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR, and over the last 20 years, we've helped thousands of companies understand and navigate the stock market and the media. We'll demystify these and other increasingly complex stakeholder groups so you can focus on what you do best, building your company, and unlocking your true potential. This is Welcome to the Arena. It's 2022 and what's good for the planet is becoming increasingly good for business. The warning bells that scientists and environmentalists have been ringing for decades are getting too loud to ignore and the market is responding. Consumers want more responsible options, but historically those options have come with a big price tag. Not anymore. Technology is catching up and sustainable alternatives are more cost competitive than ever. Here to discuss his company's mission to change the world a nice modest goal, is Troy Swope, co-founder and CEO of Footprint. Set to go public via a merger with Gore's back SPAC, Footprint is a sustainability and material science company focused on inventing and manufacturing alternatives to short-term use plastic. By helping retailers, CPG companies, including food companies, make the jump to plant-based alternatives at a cost comparable to plastics, they're creating a healthier planet for us and a healthier bottom line for their clients, many of which are among the world's most recognized brands. I sat down with Troy to talk about the culture of innovation that allows Footprint to completely control their ecosystem while unlocking more and more value for their stakeholders. Why Footprint's clients see ROI that goes well beyond the actual product and how Troy became an accidental environmentalist. Let's enter the arena with Troy Swope. It's a little bit, you know, non-traditional background. I was a high school student and I had a math teacher that in the summers would go work at Intel, an up and coming company in the early, early 90s. He said, hey, you ought to go uh, do some work there. You'll love this company. And I knew very little about Intel and what Intel did. I mean, I think I had my first 386 computer maybe in my senior year in high school. So he introduced me to Intel. I got hired as an, doing engineering tech work and experimentation. Within six months, I got a full-time offer 
And then I think a, a year or two later, they sent me to the Philippines to work on an equipment install. So, you know, Intel was exploding and it had created a huge amount of opportunity. So I like to say I went to Intel University. It was an unbelievable place to be, especially in the 90s. Intel exploded in the 90s. And I think I started, I started there in 1992 and I was 19 years old. You know, they started the decade at about $3 billion in annual revenue and left at $36 billion. And they controlled that entire ecosystem, the innovation around process technologies, product technologies, and were trained changing the world. And it was an unbelievable place to be, full of talent, full of great educators in their own way. And it was just a perfect breeding ground for me. Yeah. And what are some of the things at Intel, obviously, as you progress in your career that kind of led you to Footprint? Well, I think culturally, what we learned at Intel was how to design experiments, how to fail, fail quickly. And the semiconductor might be the greatest achievement that man can accomplish technically, right? We learned how to fail. You know, Moore's Law is that, you know, you're doubling capabilities every two years. So culturally, that was great. But for me specifically, I was in technology and development, and I ultimately ended up running like the last eight years there, a materials organization. And we were working on a a project where Intel was having to clean the actual wafer, if you will, before processing. And when we investigated what was happening, we found that plastic outgassing from shipping was contaminating the product. And as a team, we were going, well, it was crazy for us because it only spent like a day. We shipped everything by air from Japan to Intel facilities worldwide. And we're going, maybe it's in this container for about three days before robots take it out and, and we start processing. So we're going in three days, we're contaminating it. So we started out with going, can we develop a polymer that didn't outgas? Outgassing is your new car smell, right? You know, every time you open up a new car and you're like, you love that smell, that's plastic outgassing. It may, not have, may have some glues and leathers, but it's really plastic. So we just, as curious engineers and scientists started going, well, everything in a supermarket that's in plastic, is there, you know, contamination of food? And absolutely. So we saw this back in 2004, 2005 and said, this is going to be a human health crisis. And we also saw it as a huge opportunity going, all right, let's go develop the next plastic. Well, I'll tell you what, a lot of companies say they're changing the world, but what you're doing is so cool. Stepping back, what does Footprint do for people who are not familiar with the company? So Footprint is a material science company, but we control the entire ecosystem. We're a material science company focused on creating a healthier planet. And phase one of that mission for us is to develop the technologies that get plastic away from food. We'll get into eliminating plastic and feminine hygiene products and detergent bottles and other things. But first and foremost, our focus today is to get plastic away from food and to do it to where the performance relative to shelf life is equal to or better than plastic. And certainly we are extremely cost competitive. So our old tagline used to be, we make sustainable sustainable through innovations and process technologies that we not only compete with plastic on performance, but we're very, very competitive with plastic on price. Yeah. And this is not pie in the sky stuff. You're in the market. Maybe you could talk about your clients. I mean, they're kind of a who's who of consumer clients. So impressive. Maybe like a case study on how they're actually using your product. ConAgra is one of our first real food customers. And, you know, about seven years ago, we started working with them and they had a vision. ConAgra has an unbelievable leadership team. They have talent throughout the organization and they had a, they're very courageous. They had a vision maybe eight years ago that said, we don't believe our customers in the future are going to microwave plastic. So, you know, a case study is we're helping them transform the frozen food section with our plant-based technology 
you could find it in ConAgra's Healthy Choice Power Bowls. Uh, you can find it in Hungry Man, P.F. Chang's, Frontera, you name it. We're just executing brand by brand as we, we build the capacity to support them. But we have other, just about every major CPG in the world we're working with, Tom. And I'm unbelievably proud of business. And I think they get a bad rap. I mean, we haven't met a company that given the technology is not going to change. There just hasn't been anybody like Footprint to give them the technology that knows how to innovate, that knows how to fail. And when we fail, we don't stop. We learn and we continue to push forward. And, you know, to your point, we have hundreds of millions of units in the marketplace today. Sweetgreens is a customer. McDonald's is a customer on the Albertsons. It's just about every major CPG in the world we're working with. Yeah, it's so impressive. You mentioned controlling the entire ecosystem, which I assume what you mean by that is kind of engineering to manufacturing all along the way. If you do control that ecosystem, you control the full value proposition. Why is that so important to Footprint? You nailed it 100%. So we started out, we were a coatings company. Uh, we developed a coating technology and we, we had a vision to potentially apply this coating to eliminate plastic and aluminum cans, to put it on paperboard. Your favorite McDonald's cup or Starbucks cup is lined with plastic. And so that was our original vision. And we met ConAgra and we said, okay, we're going to use our coating to coat a press board. And that would be the solution. And ultimately what we found is that the value proposition didn't meet our expectations and frankly didn't meet ConAgra's expectations is we had a technology that wasn't that great. It was plastic free. It was a bit expensive because we sold it B to B to B then to C. So we're going, wow, this doesn't make a lot of sense. And we were having to use far more coating than what we thought was necessary to get the shelf life. So we just started going, hey, we need to own whatever we're going to coat with. The vision is to use waste. So we like cardboard boxes and we could break that back down to its core cellulose. And, and we use some hardwood, softwoods. We can use hemp. We can use wheat straw. But we love the ultimately we want to use as much recycled cardboard boxes as possible. It's the best impact on the planet from a CO2 emissions. So when we did, took that product and we refined it and we formed it and then we coded it, we had the greatest value proposition. And what I mean value proposition was the performance was excellent from a shelf life standpoint, from a structure, it added far more rigidity and the cost and controlling of things like energy use and the overall CO2 emission and the impact on the planet. When we controlled the whole ecosystem was far better. And we're going to continue to innovate, not only for product performance, but now we're innovating in our factories to reduce our energy to, you know, actually, how do we reclaim our energy? We reclaim all our water. 97% of all our water is reused. So all those things to continue to pr improve the impact on the planet. I mean, you're like an ESG dream. We'll get to that in a minute, but you're a small, super fast growing company. And how do you decide to take on clients knowing you've got limited resources right now? Obviously, I think going public and having a great balance sheet is probably going to help you there. But I would imagine you have to enter in with people who aren't just trying to check a box, like they're really committed to it. How do you move forward with a client? What's your process? So we look at the total TAM or opportunity of the customer. So we love big multinational customers that have a value proposition or a vision for a value proposition that meets what we're offering. We'd love to hear it from ConAgra CEO, Sean Connolly, that we don't think the future, you know, our customers are going to microwave plastic and we want to help. Uh, 
Upfield CEO, which is the Unilever spinoff, you know, in, in the U.S., it's I can't believe it's not butter and Country Crock. He came out and said, we're going to go plastic free and as they rebrand a plant-based spread. So we immediately line, it's, it's a great opportunity footprint. It's a great opportunity for the planet. So the volume has to make sense for us. Keep in mind, we're a lot of ex-Intel people. So we don't even, we can't think lo- locally. Everything we think about is globally and massive scale. It's just not in our DNA to think small. So we want the biggest opportunity for the planet, the biggest opportunity for footprint, because the work is the same. The innovation's the same. We might as well apply it to P&G and Unilever and ConAgra and Nestle versus smaller you know, brands that you know, are just getting going. Although we want to support them, they're not our focus today. When I think about a return on investment for a client, your product is kind of cost neutral relative to the plastic alternative. What's the ROI for your clients the way you see it? One example that we use frequently is that ConAgra saw a 24% increase in sales. And in the grocery business, that's massive. It really goes to ConAgra understanding their customer really well and that they didn't want to microwave plastic given a choice. So that that's a huge win. I, I think in the, you know, in the grocery industry, if you can move the needle one to 2%, you're ecstatic, right? So that ROI, obviously, and then they ultimately that leads to more freezer space and gives them more opportunities to grow their business. And we see that across the board, Tom, is that the consumer is speaking. If given the alternative, they don't want to buy plastic. So we're doing everything we can to how can we help our brands, our customers, convert as much as possible, as soon as possible, to really support their customer. ROI can be defined in many ways, and these days, ESG progress is one of them. For publicly traded companies, ESG is not about doing the right thing anymore. It's also about attracting capital. People want to be associated with brands that align with their ethics. I asked Troy if his clients are seeing this kind of ROI from footprint, returns that go beyond the actual product sale, veering into the return a company might get from accomplishing their ESG goals. Absolutely. Our entire value proposition goes far beyond the product we offer. If you look back at our Intel days, when I say controlling the whole ecosystem, the one thing that we contemplate and think about often is the end of life and what is the future of waste. And we're working with a number of companies that everything from food dehydration and does footprint technology dehydrate and can we bring that back out? So basically upcycle it. Can we bring that back out to farms? And we've done some tests. But when you think about the ecosystem of the food chain, our customers are Taylor Farms, which is one of the largest leafy green farms in the world, and also Sweet Greens, which is a customer of Taylor Farms, right? So when you think about that whole ecosystem, we could tie in not only the material science and our product technology, but how do we treat the waste and how can we bring the waste back into our other customer that adds value, that adds nitrates. This is like rocket fuel to leafy green growth. That's how we think about it. That entire ecosystem includes the future of waste. It's like such a big idea, which is very cool. One thing that I, I thought was also interesting is how you get paid kind of these long-term contracts, almost like deferred revenue where, you know, you're working on these projects and you have a lot of visibility in the business. Maybe you can talk about the length of some of those contracts and kind of the billings that you have locked in contractually over the next few years. Our average contractual length is six years, but the business is extremely sticky. For these big CPG companies, 
the traditional plastic suppliers have been there 20 years or more usually, you know, because once you build a continuity of supply and you, and you show low risk and deliver high quality, you're going to be there for a long time. Now, this is a major transition for our customers. So to help us with the economics and us bringing in the capital for the business, we looked at two things. One is the customer can help us with giving us money and capital to grow, or the customer can give us a, a really solid contract that we can use to finance the business. So we focused on the solid contract for a number of reasons. We have some customers, you know, quite a few customers that have put in everything from equity to pre-purchase orders, those kind of things to help us grow and develop. But our real important focus is to get a contract. And so today we have 585 million annual revenue on an average six years of length of revenue under contract. So basically, if we had the capacity, we'd be delivering 585 million of revenue today. That's oversold. We're already oversold 2023, our projections for 2023. And we anticipate in this year, in 2022, we'll oversell 2024. So we'll be chasing this demand for quite some time. That kind of visibility always gives investors uh, comfort. How about once the DSPAC uh, period is concluded, what does the balance sheet look like as you're a, a public company? And what advantages does that give you in the marketplace and relative to your competition? What are you going to do with the capital? You know, we have explosive growth. And as we just talked about revenue under contract, so all the money from the transaction goes to our balance sheet. And almost all of that is going to growth. So we're we're expanding our factory in uh, Mexicali, Mexico. We're going to build another factory in North America in 2023. And then we currently have a LOI in place for a factory in Poland. We have a solution center in the Netherlands. So it's going to fill up these factories is number one. And we're going to onboard immediately about $600, $700 million of annual revenue. And then from there, we've done some work with the German ECA and the future growth. I think we're going to have some real going public is this an opportunity for some real low cost debt financing. We believe we're in position to never have to come back to the equity markets again. And I think that's extremely attractive. We're positioned right now with through the SPAC, which has been, I mean, Gores has been an unbelievable partner in this to really fund our future growth and to get to a real, real healthy position relative to EBITDA. Another thing that I think is uh, is interesting is obviously in your business, it's a full commitment to R&D, IP, stuff like that. Talk about kind of the IP that you have, because I really don't, I went to business school, but I don't remember how IP is valued on the balance sheet. But you have a lot of patents, you have a lot of proprietary technology. I have to think it's there's huge value in kind of all the things that you've uh, secured IP-wise to date. Yeah, it's one thing that we've done exceptionally well, and it's kind of a credit to our background at Intel, is that our whole culture is around innovation. There's nothing we believe we can't do because we know how to design an experiment, fail, and learn, and eventually we'll figure it out. But we're also paranoid. So if you remember Andy Grows, only the paranoid survive. So we IP everything that we work on, and because we control the entire ecosystem, we have IP around our material science, about how we refine and pulp fibers, the chemistries that we, we develop, our own chemistries, the chemistry development, the material science, the process technology in which how we form and coat, even the coating technology itself, not the chemistry, but the actual application. We built our own ovens and designed our own spray coating lines. So we have IP there. Every month we file more. We have IP, about 2,700 invention disclosures that are under patent today or, or in patent pending. 
every month we review the new ones coming up. A lot of them around products. We are now getting into detergent bottles, shampoo bottles, but feminine hygiene products, those kind of things. And so we're, we're putting a lot of IP around that. And again, like I said earlier, I think there's a tremendous opportunity to continue to enhance the impact on the planet, reducing CO2 emissions through energy use and water use, those kind of things. So you'll see, you know, this year we'll put, we'll file more IP around some innovations there as well. Yeah. You touched on kind of growth in the future and the other irons in the fire. One of the things that I think is such a game changer for the planet is the cleanup component of the things that you're working on, if I'm describing that the right way. This has got to get like everybody engaged and paying attention because it's so interesting. You know, like I said earlier, we believe in the entire ecosystem. You have to think about the future of waste. So we are closely monitoring or working with some groups that are in the plastics recycling space and how do we unlock some of the value there. We'll help promote through our innovation and engineering, you know, those groups. And also I think for us, what we're mainly focused on is we believe the future of waste is actually dehydrating our product and food product together. It creates this really nitrate rich material. You'll see one of these in every household, I think pretty soon. South Korea and Japan are already kind of leading this today. We believe that's the future of waste globally. And then you can upcycle. So what's left in your, your bin, if you will, and, and you'll see one of these in your every favorite sweet greens, if you will, that we'll be able to upcycle. We'll be able to take that material and bring it out to the farms and actually you know, eliminate some fertilizers and some other elements. We're definitely thinking about these things. We have a pathfinding team that we look at it going, hey, what's the potential area that our customer is going to have to deal with and how can we provide more value in that space? Yeah. What do you think the total addressable market is for what you do? It's massive. I think, you know, in our analysis, I think we got some reports from Pyra. You know, it's $350 billion for like rigid plastic in bottles and flexible films. And the biggest part of that is rigid plastics, which is about $250 billion globally. And, it, you know, there's really like 10 major users of that. It's like Unilever, Coke, Pepsi, right? So uh, ConAgra, you know, Nestle, those guys in Almost all of those are our customer uh, today, or we're working on them with them in development projects today. So we're in it. We're clearly leading in this space. But Tom, to, to be frank, we're going to need competitive partners. I mean, this is about the planet and the health of the planet. Plastics is like the fifth largest user emitter of CO2 emissions, right? So this isn't just about the waste that you see in the ocean, which is, you know, if you've been to, I used to go to Bali in the 90s when I worked for Intel and I'd be stuck in Malaysia. And now you go to Bali, it looks completely different. You know, I have to tell my children what it used to look like without all the plastic waste. And, but it's really not about that. I mean, it's CO2 emissions, it's climate change and it's human health impacts. We as a team, in Footprint is least certainly the leader today, but we're gonna have to pull a few guys along that says, we gotta transform the planet. Now, again, the great news here is that every customer we work with, they want to change. Now, each individual customer has more better capabilities than others relative to how quickly they can execute change, but they all want to change. So it's really up to Footprint to give them the technology to execute it. What's like the culture of the company among the senior team and kind of everybody executing on this every day? Innovation, innovation, you know, in, innovation is, is really the culture. Uh, we try to drive the right way to innovate, directed innovation, meaning we clearly have a focus on what value we're adding to the customer through this innovation or is clearly adding value to our key business metrics. It's a culture of we can do and we will do anything for the customer. So in examples of, 
you know, instead of just, you know, material science and, you know, hey, we have a new technology, we've developed print technologies to direct print on our product that eliminates labeling and some other items. It took us three years of development and a great deal amount of capital to do it, but we saw it as a huge win for the customer. It reduced costs for them. It was better for the planet to reduce labeling. We developed laser die cutting, uh, which we have IP around so that the customer, we don't have to worry about fibers in the product or uh, getting into the food products. So we will do anything or have the capability to do anything if it can add value to our customer. And that is the culture. We are obsessed with the customer, but not just as we hand the product to the customer, we're obsessed with everything till when their customer uses it, what happens? Public company investors, they want to hear that. People who are just like maniacally focused in on that kind of stuff. Those are the companies that that always succeed. During the DSPAC process, I'm sure you're meeting with a lot of investors and things. Is there anything when you're telling this story to investors that you think they miss or kind of like they don't get or maybe they're skeptical of? Our pipe process went exceptionally well. We, we turned away a lot of money. That's a great sign. So I think people are getting it. You know, I think one of the key messages, Tom, out of this is that this is not a science experiment anymore. We delivered hundreds of millions of units last year. We don't need a major leap in innovation to deliver on our commitments to stakeholders through the next five years or even well beyond that. And we're going to obviously continue to innovate. And I think they get that. I think one of the challenges is that there's been this whole discussion of every SPAC is lumped together so that the vehicle in which we chose to take this business public or to capitalize this business was a SPAC, but it's just the vehicle. Every business needs to be analyzed separately. That's a big issue. I think that's a bit, you can't lump all these together. And certainly the reason we chose Gore's is Gore's has a track record of picking businesses that are ready to go public and to deliver on their commitments. And I I think Footprint, we're excited to show we're ready to deliver. We have been delivering. We've been recognized CNBC and Newsweek and Fast Company as one of the most environmentally impactful businesses on the planet. I believe the next time you and I talk, you'll say, Troy, you are the most environmentally impactful business on the planet. Footprint is proving that going green is good for business, pure and simple. The greener they get, the more demand they generate, the more growth they see. It's an enviable equation, one that proves the market will reward companies that can make strides in sustainability through a proven economic model. At Welcome to the Arena, we're working really hard to bring you exciting guests and great content. If you found this episode insightful, subscribe to the show on your podcast app, or leaving a five-star rating. The more the show grows, the more interesting voices we can have on the podcast. And in turn, that should demystify a lot of the stakeholders around public companies and soon-to-be public companies. Thanks for listening. One more big thanks to Troy Swope from Footprint for joining me on the show today. What he and his team are doing is making the future happen now in real time. They've got great visibility. They're helping companies achieve their ESG goals. And the way they get paid with long-term predictable contracts certainly has to appeal to investors. Just a really cool company doing great things for the planet. And I can't wait to see what's next for them. We'll see you next time back in the arena. References to specific stocks are not intended to be recommendations for specific trading behavior. Comments presented on this podcast are intended for informational and educational purposes only and do not represent opinions or recommendations on whether to buy, sell, or hold shares of a particular stock. 
All investors are advised to conduct their own independent research into individual stocks before making a trading decision. In addition, investors are advised that past stock performance is no guarantee of future price performance.